You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. This episode is brought to you by Bumble. So you want to find someone you're compatible with, specifically someone who's ready for a serious connection, totally open to having kids in the future, is a tall rock climbing Libra and loves rom-coms with vegan pizzas on Tuesdays just as much as you do. Bumble knows that you know exactly what's right for you. So whatever it is you're looking for, Bumble's features can help you find it. Date now on Bumble. You're listening to the Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network brought to you by HuntStand. HuntStand is the number one hunting app in the country, and at only $29.99, HuntStand offers a ton of functionality for hunters all over the country. Whether you own your own property or strictly hunt public, you can choose from over a dozen base maps, view property ownership information, 3D mapping, local weather, log your sightings and harvest, as well as use their trail cam management software, and print maps from your hunt areas. Download it today at the Apple App Store or Google Play. Hunt Stand. Upgrade your arsenal. Welcome to the Hunting Gear Podcast. I'm your host, Dan Johnson, and today we have a really interesting podcast we're going to be talking about gear specific gear that you may need for the rut now the more i think about it and you'll hear in this conversation the 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 rut doesn't necessarily require any type of additional gear maybe some rattling antlers and we talk about that in in this episode but the main focus of this episode is going to be cold weather clothing and what type of cold weather hunting gear we we use Um, today's guest is Garrett Prawl you may know Garrett from the DIY Sportsman on YouTube and the DIY Sportsman podcast here on the Sportsman's Nation uh, podcast network so I'm going to keep the intro short because you don't want to listen to me talk. We are going to do some commercials real quick. Uh, the average conservationist is in apparel line, and right off the bat, these guys are given 10% of all of their revenue to some form of conservation effort. This, get, this gets them 2% for conservation certified, and, um, and it's just a really good thing for a, a hunting company to do. On top of that, the cherry on top is their clothing's badass, right? It's the t-shirts that make uh, guys with love handles like myself uh, look good. And uh, they have awesome logos, good fit, good feel, awesome hats, t-shirts, hoodies, uh, you name it, and they got it. So uh, head on over to theaverageconservationist.com. And when you decide to purchase, enter the discount code NFC10 for 10% off. Next, Hunt Stand. And as you guys are probably listening to this, I'm at the tail end of my, uh, of my South Dakota mule deer hunt. And I will be on hunt stand quite a bit, uh, dropping pins. I'll be uh, researching land, looking at terrain, looking for uh, like public-private boundaries, looking for landowner names, all of that stuff. And uh, it's just an awesome thing to keep in your pocket to help you catalog 
all of your hunts. So that way, if I decide to come back to this place uh, next year, I have basically a diary of things that I can look at um, from previous hunts. So not only does it have the functionality um, uh, and really up-to-date satellite imagery, uh, I'm talking about once every month, I think they switch it out, but it also gives you the ability to document uh, and journal all of your hunts. So if you want to find out more information about HuntStand, visit HuntStand.com, and, uh, or you can go to the Google Play Store and uh, just download it for free. If you want to upgrade, I believe it's 30 bucks a year, and that's dirt cheap for the uh, functionality in, that you get. Uh, and lastly, Lone Wolf Portable Tree Stands. I'll tell you right now, uh, Lone Wolf, this these stands, especially for a whitetail hunter, I don't know if there's anything else on the market really that competes with it, right? The, the self-leveling feature allows you to get in trees that are not perfectly straight, four sticks and an assault. That's my, that's my run and gun set. And that gets me anywhere I need to go, man. I'm over two, I'm like 220 pounds, six foot tall. And that assault, I, I feel comfortable in that assault. Now, uh, if you are a bigger guy or you want a little bit more room on, on your platform, uh, go with the alpha, right? A bigger, a little bit of a bigger platform. But other than that, uh, just it, it's my go-to running gun setup. And uh, you guys have heard me talk about this for years now. So uh, let's see here. 9FC21. So go to Lone Wolf, uh, LoneWolfHuntingProducts.com. 9FC21. Two one, and that's going to get you fifty dollars off of all purchases over two hundred bucks. So that's like an eighteen to twenty-five percent discount, depending on what you purchase. All right, that's uh, the commercials. Really interesting uh, episode with Garrett Prawl from the DIY Sportsman about cold weather hunting gear. Three, two, one. All right, uh, everybody, welcome to the Hunting Gear Podcast, and today we are joined by Garrett Prawl. Garrett is the host of the DIY Sportsman Podcast here on the uh, Sportsman's Nation, and he also has a YouTube channel, the DIY Sportsman, which is really popular, a lot of good content over there. Garrett, how are we doing, man? Doing pretty well. How has your season gone this far? I would say so far it's been a lot more scouting and a lot less hunting. You know, in the past I've tried to hunt, you know, basically as much as possible, as much as I have time to get out in the woods. And I'd say this year I've taken more of the strategy of not really climbing a tree un- until I have something that I feel absolutely hundred percent confident in. Yeah. So I've been a lot of filming my wife, um, you know, trying to get her first buck and then just trying to gather additional Intel. So I've got a, a couple pretty good leads so far. And I'm thinking that once we start to transition here into pre-rot, I should have pretty good opportunities. Yeah. And, uh, man, I tell you what, the, the more that I, hunt or i shouldn't say the more that i hunt the more i i guess i mature as a hunter the importance of scouting and knowing where everything is at and where the deer movement is at throughout uh whenever you're going to be out in the woods is the is of the utmost important the whole adage you know scout hunt more scout or hunt less scout more and just put yourself in the best possible position yeah absolutely agree yeah. So today, though, we are going to be talking about, uh, this is the hunting gear podcast. So we're going to be talking about hunting gear and equipment. And uh, I kind of wanted to bring you on for two 
different topics today. And uh, I don't know how uh, the first topic that we talk about, um, how in-depth it is and how much it actually changes based off of the time of year as far as deer are concerned. And then I want to get into cold weather uh, cold weather gear uh, as well uh, with you. But I kind of want to just ask you a high-level question. Are there any products out there or specific gear that a, a guy or a gal may need specifically for the whitetail rut? I'd say for me, the answer is generally not really. Okay. Although I will make some concessions and say that I think in certain scenarios, it probably makes sense, especially pre-rut to maybe start carrying like a rattle bag. If that's something you don't normally carry, I usually carry a grunt call. So that one's like always with me. But if you don't usually carry a grunt call, might be a good idea during the rut time to have one of those with you as well. But a lot of the other things that I carry, I'd be using regardless of whether or not it's the rut. Yeah. And that's, I I can't really think of it. I I would love to make a whole episode out of it, but I mean, the only thing that really changes the, the, you know, the later into the season that we get is, is clothing, right? And that's all based off of temperature. It's not necessarily based off of the, uh, the, the breeding season, so to speak, the, the actual whitetail rut. And just like what you said, I don't think, I mean, I typically early season, up until October 20th, and I haven't even been out this year. I'm not even going to get out uh, and whitetail hunt probably until the last week in October. But I always bring my grunt tube with me. And just like you, I, I leave my rattling antlers in the in the truck until about that 20th to 25th uh, time frame just so I don't use them. You know what I mean? Like I, I'm that mm-hmm. kind of guy who I love to rattle. And uh, I, I've... I've found myself rattling too much in the early season. So now I just kind of leave them in the truck. How about yourself? Yeah. Yeah. What I've noticed, especially to looking at trail camera photos is that it seems like for me, and I'm sure it's the case for a lot of people too, that same time frame kind of here in the upper Midwest is really when some of those little bit older bucks start to show themselves a little bit more in daylight. Yeah. And I'm just like, if I can hang on, you know, just until that time frame and just kind of be more conservative, even though like super early season, I like being aggressive that mid-October range, it's like if I wait out a little bit more, then I feel like I'd make those last few days of October the best they can be. Yeah. So I, I'm kind of the same boat. Yeah. Now, in your pack, um, are you the guy who always has like an extra trail camera with him? Do you run trail cameras? I mean, so like if it's it's the rut and you're you're really starting to hunt a lot, you're running into some fresh sign, do you throw uh, uh, a trail camera up on that fresh sign? Uh, the last couple of years, yes. Yeah. I have started doing that more and more uh, to where any random hunt I'll go out. I might have two or three cameras with me just in case. And sometimes I don't end up doing anything with them. The last time I was out was uh, Monday afternoon. So like just a couple days ago. And at that point, a lot of the, you know, traditional rut scrape areas were not opened up yet. Uh, but I have cameras in some of those locations anyway. But I know that I would, I, I would estimate that probably this Friday, Saturday, I'm expecting a lot of those scrapes to start getting opened up more at night. And so when I make another trip out there, you know, whatever, I don't have a camera on. If I find a new area that makes sense, I'll just go ahead and drop one there. Yeah. Yeah. That's, uh, I'm, I'm always kind of having a, an extra trail camera in my pack these days as well. Um, now as far as, uh, checking those trail cameras, uh, is it just one of those things where you'll leave it up for a couple days or weeks or, or just in the time you're hunting that area or uh, do you just let it soak for a while? 
if it's a camera that's in more of like a peripheral area, where I expect to get nighttime sign. I feel more comfortable just kind of periodically checking it as I walk by, yeah. uh, getting into the various access. If it's an area that's really specific, like right on the spot that I want to hunt and it's, I would say closer to bedding, I'll be a little bit more careful in terms of how long I, or how often I check it. Yeah. Um, if it's like a true rut funnel, then I'll, I won't really care that much. But, uh, yeah, I try to be somewhat conservative on the, uh, checking the non-cell cameras. There's some opportunities too. Like if I have service, I might drop a cell camera there. Um, and that, that makes it a little bit easier, but that's not always the case to, to be able to run a whole lot of cell cameras. It gets a little pricey. Yeah, for sure. So when it comes to the rut, then, uh, all of your, uh, all of your tactical stuff. And what I mean by that is you're, you're a saddle hunter right now. You, you run a saddle. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yep. So the, the saddle is something you're using all year round, right? It doesn't matter on if, whether or not it's the rut. Right. Okay. All right. Yeah. So I think the next logical step here is to just jump into cold weather, right? Colder weather. And here in the Midwest, I've looked at some of the forecasts and, um, forecasts and you're up in Minnesota, right? Mm-hmm. All right. So in the next 10 to 15 days, uh, are you guys going to get close to freezing at all? It'll get close, like low 30s. Yeah, I'm pretty sure. I don't know if it'll actually get below freezing or not, but it's it's kind of flirting right at that range. Yeah. And that's uh, the same thing down here, too. We're looking at uh, that that high 30 range. Nothing too crazy yet. Um, you know, the the what I would call the hot weather for the most part, is out of the forecast uh, for the rest of October. Anyway, where I'm at, I don't know about you, but how does your, your whether you have a layering system, your boot-sock combos, what, what type of clothing changes or gear changes do you make as the temperatures start to get into this overnight lows of let's just say mid-30s up into like the low 60s or, or 50s? Most of my changes end up being on the side of the clothes that I pack in as opposed to the clothes that I wear when I'm walking in. Yeah, Those are usually separated unless I happen to be hunting pretty close to the truck. But uh, pretty much my walk-in like clothing kit is very similar to what I would wear if I was scouting. So it's going to be pants that maybe are a little bit more durable that aren't going to pick up as many burrs. Uh, I walk through a lot of thorns and like clear-cut areas so I can have a little bit of durability if it's really cool, I might wear some merino wool base layers or good synthetic base layers underneath. Uh, up top, I might just wear a base layer top, or I might put uh, you know a little windbreaking vest over top just to kind of keep that bite of the wind uh, off. But I keep a very similar kit from like middle temperature all the way down to really cold, and just yeah. kind of make slight modifications to that walking kit. But then what I pack once I get to the tree and, and put on is is really what's changing. Uh, when it gets like kind of this middle-ish temperature range, I might go with like a, a quieter pair of puffy pants uh, just because they, you know, they weigh like a pound. Um, but once it gets to like that sub 40, even like mid, mid 40s, I start to, to transition right to bibs. And then I'll, I'll basically use a bib system as it continues to drive colder from there. Yeah. As you're walking in, like you mentioned, sometimes you might use Merino, sometimes you might use synthetics. Are you like the the whole point is to not be a sweaty mess by the time you get a either get to the tree or um, you get finished setting up? 
are you when you're walking in and you're getting to the tree and you're setting up are in these colder temperatures are you almost cold or are you are you warm when you when you start to get those additional layers that you've brought in put on ideal case i would say is that by the time i'm ready to put on the extra layers i'm warm but not overheated yeah okay uh, i'd rather i'd rather start the the trip cool cuz i know i'm going to warm up and i'll try and do my best to to figure out how many clothes I need to wear and how I need to vent on the way in to kind of make sure that I'm not overheated, but I'm also not frozen by the time I put on those extra layers. Because if I'm still cold and I put on those extra layers, I'm just kind of insulating a cold body and I still got to, you know, work on that, that yeah. body, you know, temperature to warm, warm itself up versus if I'm already warm, then I'm putting those extra layers on. Uh, I feel like a lot of times, especially those morning hunts, if I'm like right on the verge of like being close to sweating and then I put on those heavy layers over the top, it seems like I stay warm a lot longer. Yeah. Yeah. Um, now the system that you are running, um, uh, do you ever, uh, let's see here. What's the sweat? Like if you do break a sweat, you know, it's, let's say it's a difficult tree or a deer comes by and you have to hold a position halfway. I don't know if you've ever been there before and you start to sweat or you're going up some, some pretty intense terrain and you, you actually break a sweat. Have you found, synthetics versus merino uh work better or worse than the other uh yeah and that's kind of the main i guess difference between the synthetics and the wool right is that one one dries faster synthetics dry a lot faster a little bit more durable generally a little bit more cheaper as well but the the wool is going to feel more comfortable even if it is damp and it's going to stay warm if it's damp so i go back and forth i think you could probably be pretty happy with either one but if I know I'm going to sweat, that might lead me more towards the synthetic uh, from the standpoint that when I get close to where I'm going to set up, I can just kind of dry out uh, before I, I go ahead and uh, put those extra layers on. Yeah. So I'd, I'd rather be dry with a synthetic, even if that means I'm kind of like cold, uh, than to have moist merino and then try and layer on over top of that and just kind of be moist all day. Yeah. Okay. All right. So... What about we now we get into this, you know, let's say uh, a high in the mid 40s. You mentioned some bibs. Um, what what uh, do you run a variety of gear? Are you brand loyal through, through like uh, one specific brand or do you kind of have a hodgepodge of gear that you that you mix and match? I definitely have a bunch of different layers from a bunch of different brands. I'm not loyal to anyone in particular. I try and pick whatever I think is the, the best piece for whatever I'm trying to make it do. Yeah. So like the, I guess for me, the, the one I've really kind of almost had become a favorite is the incinerator bib, which obviously is the probably the most expensive one you could buy, but I feel like it's probably the most versatile to where I can wear it in like low forties and not be too hot in it. But I can also wear those things down to like single digits without wearing a whole lot underneath. Yeah. Uh, if it's raining, you know, cold rain or sleet or wind, um, last year we did a hunt where it started raining and then turned into freezing rain. And we had like just a crust of ice over our entire bodies. Um, it really shines in, in all those kind of scenarios. So gotcha. it, it, and I guess, I guess too, because I, I do saddle hunt, um, I, I'm sure this wasn't intentional, but the way they design those bibs, they have pass through pockets on the hips. And so I can actually wear the bibs over top of the saddle oh. and not compress any insulation. I'm kind of wearing like an overshoot, yeah. so to speak over top of that, uh, harness. Wow. So that, that's, that benefits the saddle hunter at that point. Right. Yeah. Awesome. Um, so 
and that's a piece that you pack in and then you you put on right before you climb up yeah sometimes i'll put it on when i'm on the ground and then just climb up with it a lot of times that's kind of the easiest way to do it with uh, having to run the bridge through if i'm going to wear it over top of the saddle and then i'll just have the you know zippers undone uh, to where I'm not overheating on the climb. And, and generally, my climbing system, I've got it down to the point where I'm not getting ultra sweaty um, in the first place when I'm climbing. But if it's one of those just nasty trees that you know is, is going to be a chore to get everything all set up, yep. then I might even you know be willing to bite the bullet, take multiple trips, set everything up, climb back down. Um, if I'm sweating a little bit, dry out, and then put those bibs back on and climb back up. Yeah, yeah. Um, so... Uh, so one of your one of your most functional pieces is that uh, incinerator uh, incinerator bibs. What are you running for base layers? I go back and forth. Um, usually my go-to I'd say has probably been like uh, for the bottoms, just like a mid-weight merino, you know, like a 200 weight or something like that. Um, I, the ones I have are from First Light, but most of the merino that I've tried has, has served its purpose pretty well. Uh, I think I have like probably got like three or four different brands on the upper base layers for Merino and a couple synthetics. I got some from uh, Sitka, their core lightweight. And actually one of the preferred things I tried last year was running just a real thin silk weight synthetic like that Sitka one and then putting a heavier weight Merino or Alpaca um, base layer over the top of that. So it's almost kind of like a two component base layer Yeah. to where that, uh, synthetic would pull the moisture off your skin and push it into that more moisture absorbing outer base layer, uh, so to speak, and kind of keep you dry. And that seemed to work pretty well. Um, definitely overkill, but you know, for, for what I was intending to do, I would say it, it did that job. Yeah. And, uh, that, yeah, I like I like running that system. Yeah. And I, I, there's sometimes I do that as well. So I'll throw over, I'll throw on my, uh, Sitka core lightweight, uh, uh lightweight, bottom and then i'll throw like a a, a heavier ll bean it's it, it's a polyester as well but um cause, and i typically don't run any merino bottoms uh i have some merino bottoms like uh they're more of a blend where it's a uh 70 uh, merino 30 percent polyester i believe and um you know i have those available but for me I don't know about you, but I like my base layers, my especially my pants, to be the one that's against my skin to be like a compression, have more compression than a, a loose base layer. Like, what do you what do you like, compression or not? I guess I really don't have much of an opinion. I'd say for the base layers on the bottom, I'm fine having them tight. Yeah. Uh, for the upper body, I guess typically it is a skin tight fit, at least for that next to skin one, and yeah. then everything on top is a little bit looser. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and that's, I, I don't know. I just, I guess I like, I like that fact knowing that whatever base layer I have on for the most part, uh, is touching, is touching my skin. Now I don't necessarily like the, the compression for my upper body. Um, I like to have a, it be a little bit more loose and I tend to just like, uh, what you said, where uh, on my, when I'm moving around, I like to have, uh, my base layer, yeah, especially in colder weather, I like to almost be cold. Where if I'm if I stop for just a minute, it start the coldness really starts to 
to creep in on me. So I, I like to keep moving. And that way for me, I'm a, I'm a heavier sweater. So if I overdress, man, it, it, uh, I sweat a lot and then it takes me, you know, and then I don't know if you've ever been here before, but you've, you've already sw- like done a lot of sweating. So then you have all your layers on up in the tree stand, just so you're ready. And you have every zipper front. You're trying to blow cold air down into your chest. And it just, I don't know, it, it's, it's that uncomfortable moment before everything dries out. Yeah. Yeah. And I've, I've always wondered if it, if it's almost better in that scenario, if you are soaked with sweat and you got all your layers on and you're already in the tree. Yeah. Like if it's better to just seal everything up and just stay hot and moist. Yeah. Um, and just kind of, you know, sit like that versus, I mean, once you open that stuff up and you start drying out that evaporate evaporative process is causing your temperature to cool down. Yeah. And the more heat you lose, the less you have available then to stay insulated. Yeah. And for me, that's a, that's like a rate walking the razor's edge. If I get too hot, then I start to sweat. Um, and then if I, I don't know, I've even had times where I dress too light. I, you know, I'm packing all my warm gear, but I dress too light. I'm already cold by the time I get there and I never fully am warm. You know, you're always fighting that little shiver battle, you know, not necessarily like hypothermia, but you're, you, you don't get a hundred percent comfortable. Yeah. I have used some, uh, some of the heated base layers. Yeah. Uh, Numa makes a set and I, I had the vest and I just got the pants to try out last year and I would use those as basically the synthetic version of the next to skin and then have a, like a wool or whatever over top of it. But they were, they were nice for, you know, just kind of taking the edge off. Yeah. Like if you have just that exactly that scenario where you, you maybe did dress a little bit too cool and you're about to sit, start an all day sit. Well, that kicking that up for half hour or whatever takes that edge off and makes your next six hours more comfortable. Yeah. Or if you're in an evening set and you've been pretty comfortable all day and the temperature drops another 15 degrees and then you're freezing for the last hour, yeah. it helps take the edge off a little bit there too. Yeah. When you run those, uh, when you ran that heated vest, did you have to bring less layers with you? Cause you had, uh, cause you had, I guess, uh, additional heat to the body. Typically not. I would say if it was a morning or an evening sit, then yes. But if it was an all day sit, then no, uh, because there's not enough battery power to have that thing cranked all day. Yeah. And so usually I would find that if I was cold enough to where I needed to start turning it on at like 10 in the morning, like I just didn't bring enough clothes and the heated vest wasn't going to solve that by 4 PM. Um, so yeah, I, I like to dress as if I wasn't having the heated layers gotcha. for those all day sits. And then if I need it, I can use it. And if I don't really need it, then it's no big deal. Yeah. Talk to me about how you, you layer knowing that you're a saddle hunter. And I know that you said that the bibs have, uh, you know, the bibs have those, uh, pass through pockets, but what about when you need to, uh, add layers as it starts to get colder, or maybe the sun comes out and it's pegging you in a tree and it may, the temperature may be cold, but that direct sunlight starts to warm you up. How do you, mm-hmm. Uh, take layers off and put layers on in a saddle? So I think really the only consideration is that if you're using some kind of a backband or recliner strap, you got to just drop that out of the way. But then at that point, I can just add or remove layers and, you know, take them in and out of my pack as needed. Uh, There's not really anything holding or locking those upper body layers in place. 
usually for the lower body, whatever I get dressed in is pretty much what I'm going to stay at. I don't really change lower body layers once I'm in the tree, but upper body layers have been pretty easy to add or remove. Okay. And, uh, for the most part, like it doesn't take, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to do it. I mean, it's, it's something that once you, uh, mess around with the learning curve is fairly small. Yep. Okay. All right. Um, now let's kind of go to a, uh, a boot, right? Right now I'm running pretty much just a, a hiking boot with a midweight sock and I'll, uh, I'll run that a wool sock or an alpaca sock, uh, that I run all day, but I'm, I'm running, I'm just running my, my hiking boots at the, at this point, as the temperatures start to creep down, how does your, your foot care change? I think I do a pretty similar thing to you where for most of the year I'm using the hiking socks and just kind of like a, or the hiking boots and the hiking socks, just kind of like a mid weight Merino blend. And as it gets colder, a lot of times what I'll end up doing is just adding the Arctic shield boot covers just to kind of lock in some extra heat there, keep the air around your boot a little bit warmer, maybe throw in some hot hands if needed. And that gets me through most of the season. If it gets really cold, then I might start thinking about, packing in some pack boots to change into once I get to the tree. But the thing I like about that system is that it makes it so that your feet aren't just an absolute sweaty mess uh, by the time you actually get set up in the tree. And I feel like I'm a lot more nimble, especially if there's like hills involved. If I have nice lace up, you know, more minimalist hiking boots than trying to walk in with pack boots. Yeah. Um, you know, obviously the big rubber boots uh, take away from that dexterity as you're walking through terrain or whatever. Um, but do you ever are you ever wearing any type of boot cover or any big, heavy, almost like a, an Arctic boot? Cause I know it gets pretty cold up there. When it gets super cold, what I'll do is a lot of times I'll, I'll bring like a separate pair of pack boots along and I'll just kind of lash them to the outside of my backpack. And then once I get to the tree, I'll take off those main boots and usually have an extra pair of socks. So like if my feet are wet at all, I can just change into a brand new, uh, nice dry pair of socks. And those boots usually have nice dry, uh, liners that are inside of them. And my feet pretty much never get cold when I do that. Uh, if they're wet when they go in, then it doesn't seem like sometimes there's enough insulation to overcome wet feet. So I think being dry is, is pretty good, but I'd say until it gets to like, you know, around single digits or colder, I'm usually able to get by with just the hiking pair of boots or just like an uninsulated rubber boot uh, with dry feet and adding those boot blankets over the top. Yeah. Yeah. Those, and those boot blankets, man, once I, you know, I, I'll be honest, I was at the ATA show and I just sat there one day and I watched the, the demonstration that they had playing on their TV over and over and finally, I said, okay, screw it. I'm going to buy a pair. So I went to uh, a Shields a Sporting Goods store, um, was it a couple of years ago? And since then, there has been no looking back. I, The only time I'm wearing rubber boots, and I say this all the time on this podcast, is if I know that I have to walk through some pretty dense mud like or some really wet conditions like cross a creek or something like that but f- but for the most part I'm wearing my hiking boots maybe some gaiters and then over top of the, all of that is the uh is the boot blanket and if it gets really cold then what I'll do is I'll take a couple hot hands and I'll throw those in the in the the boot covers and man 
not last year, but the year before when that rut was really, really cold. We're talking like negative single digits in the morning. Uh, my, my feet were toasty warm and I found that if my feet are warm, then I can sit way longer, even if the rest of my body might be cold. Yeah, that definitely has been my experience too. Yeah. And I think one thing I was playing around with last year and ended up not really biting the bullet on was, you know, if you add some additional insulation underneath your feet themselves, yeah. like if you have a tree stand platform and you throw down like a, a piece of high loft carpet or like a, a little glassing mat that's kind of that close cell foam, um, or even like you can get, they're more expensive, but you can get like aerogel sheets. And if you had a way to cover those up, you could put those on your platform too. And that yeah. just makes it so that there's not just this constant moving cold air underneath your, yeah. your boots. Yeah. I think that makes a big difference too. Yeah. Do you ever, have you ever messed around with, uh, um, uh, foot warmer and, uh, no yeah, socks, electric socks that have the uh, heat to them. Like you do the vest. I did. I, I bought a pair from Amazon and had high expectations for them. And then one of the first few trips I took them out on, I went over my boot in water and the thing broke uh, because of the electronics in the water. Oh, so, shit. <laughs> so that was that was kind of a deal breaker on those. Yeah, for um, sure. If, if I do change boots, then, you know, sometimes at that point I'll throw in like a, a sticky foot warmer before yeah. I put that dry sock back on or the second dry sock. A lot of times I'll use two socks. I'll use a thinner synthetic liner when it gets cold. And then over top of that, put the the wool or the alpaca socks on. Yeah. Same concept as the the base layers, um, and that that seems to work fine too. But usually, one pair of socks is is fine also. Yeah. Do you? What have you found? Like, what works for you as far as socks are concerned? Because over the years, I have been. You know, I was. I used to be the firm believer of the more socks I could put on my foot and jam into a boot, the the warmer it will be. But then what I've learned through not only experience, but through just research and reading is that all that compression actually takes away the insulation of the heat, I guess. And, and so actually you probably want less socks, um, a thick, like a, a one thick sock to try to give your, um, the surrounding, uh, foot air at the same time, give the moisture, the ability to, to wick away. And that's what's actually keeping your foot warm. Yeah, like if you got one, if you got one boot and it fits comfortably early season, they're trying to smash more sock in that same amount of space. Yeah, then it has the insulation has no choice but to compress. So right. yeah, you're you're right. You're, you're trying to keep that uh, keep that air insulated, keep it warm, and the best way to do that is to have more space around the foot. Yeah. Absolutely. All right. So we've talked about basically the body. We've talked about the feet a little bit. Um, what are you doing with your hands in cold temps? A lot of times I will use a muff, yep. whether it's a, an external muff that I can use with any other, you know, brand of clothing or like the fanatic that has the built-in muff. There's a couple other brands that have the, the built-in muffs also. And I'll just throw, either an electronic hand warmer or just the, the chemical hand warmers in there. And if it's really cold, I'll throw in, I'll go overkill. I'll get the body warmers. I'll throw two, three of them in there just so it's a furnace inside that muff. Yeah. And on my hands themselves, a lot of times I'll wear a thin windbreaker glove. The yeah. ones I have right now are for Cabela's. 
I don't remember what the name of them are, but they're they're basically an uninsulated thin glove, but it has the wind stopper uh, laminate in it. And then on the shooting glove side, I just cut off the finger and the thumb, you know, halfway down so that I could have full dexterity of those of those two digits. Yeah. But then what that allows me to do is when I do pull those hands out of that muff, if it's cold and windy, it takes me about 30 seconds before my hands are just on fire if I don't have anything there because yeah. of the wind. Yep. And so if I have just that little bit of wind blocking layer, that really seems to make uh, quite a bit of difference. Yeah. Yeah, I, I should probably do something like that because I right now I wear a pair of um, basically mechanics uh, gloves. And they're those, I don't know, it's a work glove, right? Um, and what I've, and but what I do is I'll keep that on. I'll do the same thing that you do if it's extra cold. I'll, I'll have a muff with uh, maybe some, uh, you know, some hand warmers in there. But when a deer comes in, I always am sliding my glove off. You know, I have my wrist, uh, stre- my wrist release lower or up further on my arm so that I can take that glove off so that when it's time to shoot, uh, I'm barehanded. Uh, and I guess when I know I'm going to shoot something, my mind isn't thinking about the cold like it would be if it was, if I was just out there. So that's kind of what I've, that's kind of what I've been doing, uh, lately. And, and, uh, so far it's worked, you know, I haven't ran into a scenario and I'm sure now that I say this, it will happen where me trying to get my glove off has resulted in a missed opportunity. I don't want that to happen, but, uh, you know, it's, I'll just stuff my hands in the muff and usually that that's what keeps me warm. Yeah. There's been a couple times, like when I went to North Dakota in December last year, the first day I hunted, it was, we got like three inches of snow that afternoon. Yeah. And so if my hand is outside of that muff for, we'll call it half a minute, and now there's snow that's landing on my hand and it's melting and it's making it wet. And that on top of the 20 mile an hour wind, like it's just, it's a bad combination. Yeah, for sure. What about, uh, you brought up snow a couple times. Does any of your gear change based off of uh, precipitation, whether that's a, a cold, high 30s, low 40 rain, whether it's like sleeting ice or whether it's, it's snow? Yeah, I basically want my external most layer to have some kind of a full laminate, you know, close to the surface whether that is just like a, a Gore-Tex or whether it's, you know, whatever proprietary blank, uh, brand or if it's just like a polyurethane membrane, a wind blocking layer is going to do a pretty good job at blocking moisture too. It's just not taped on the seams. Yeah. Uh, so there's a lot of times similarities between the wind blocking and the, the fully waterproof. Yeah. Um, but the big thing for me too is then if, it, if I have that layer on the surface, then I want it to just have like a lightly brushed finish. Uh, the high loft like Berber fleece, exteriors i don't really like for precipitation at all they seem to soak up a lot of moisture and take forever to dry out yeah um which if you got a dryer at home not a big deal but if you're like on an out-of-state trip or something you don't have a dryer it's still gonna be wet the next morning yeah so yeah I, I, on just, wet clothes I like sucks. that yeah it absolutely does so i like just having a lightly brushed finish over top of the the membrane layer yeah yeah that makes a lot of sense all right so um other than what we've talked about, man, I mean, we've kind of went high level through a lot of things here. Uh, is there any other gear uh, for cooler or cold or maybe just even extremely cold weather that you change up as uh, as everything, you know, as the winter comes in or the late season comes in? 
I'd say for my head, I do change it up a little bit. Through most of the season, I'm able to get by with more of a minimalist, like neck gaiter or face mask, uh, something that just kind of cuts the chill a little bit. But when it gets really cold and windy, then I have to move to one of those big insulated neck gaiters and uh, a hat that is also insulated and has windstopper in it as well. Yeah. Yeah. And that seems to really cap in a lot of that heat. And then what I'll end up doing a lot of times is I'll actually modify those neck gaiters because it seems like they never want to stay up really well by themselves. Right. Uh, So I add a little bit of like a, a shock cord there just so I can kind of tighten it behind my head and hold it over top of my nose. But then if I have a deer come in, I can just reach up and pull that face mask down and be able to shoot like normal. Yeah. Yeah. I don't like I have a beard, so that my beard actually does fairly good job of keeping my face warm. And as the season progresses, it, you know, I just don't trim it and it gets bushy and it, it does what, you know, hair is supposed to do. Now, with that said, I, I really only run um, I run a, a really light beanie if it's uh, like a cool temp where I'm, I'm going to be sitting. But most times uh, I have a base layer that has a, a hood. My insulation layer has a hood. And so I'll just throw that over top of my hat that I wear. But in the cold temps um, and when I want to, when it may be a little, you know, where, when in those scenarios where you want to hear better, I'll just put a Carhartt stocking cap on. And that's what I'm, that's what I'm running in the, in the colder temps. But, uh, I always, I always want to try, like, if you put too many layers around your ears, whether that's hoods and things, you just can't hear as well. And I'm, I, I like to be able to hear the crunching of the steps or, or, you know, a a distant grunt. And that's hard when, when you have several layers over your ears. Yeah, it definitely is. The, the thing about the, the combo of like a neck gaiter and a, a beanie is you can make it so that the, the beanie is like covering half of your ear. And then if you put the uh, neck gaiter, just overlapping that a little bit, there's yeah. still like air that gets to your ears. Yeah. And it seems to help with hearing a little bit. The biggest things that always seem to bug me when it comes to hearing well, a hood, number one, uh, like you mentioned. But then the other thing is if I have a, a jacket that is not ultra quiet. Yeah. A lot of times, and most most whitetail designed hunting jackets are pretty good. Yeah. But like when I tried using puffy jackets that are made for Western hunting yeah. in the whitetail stand, it's like I turn every time I turn my head, it's just crinkle, 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 and that's all I can hear. It drives yeah. me crazy. Yeah. And you you want to know how I solved that problem? I took my oh. puff. I put my puffy jacket on, and then I th- I bought a LL Bean big. Uh, one size, and so instead of a, I usually wear an XL, so I bought a double XL, and so I put my puffy jacket on, and then I threw this wool sweater on over top of that, and that actually, it must act as a sound dampener because it just quieted the whole thing up. As so now when I'm moving around, it's just way less noise. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. But the downfall of that is that's not a that's not a precipitation type of garment. You know what I mean? It, it's it's something that will do great in the wind and do great. And my the puffy jacket is the same. But for the uh, uh, if it starts to sprinkle, uh, that thing's getting wet, and then I have to find a way to dry it uh, either at home or over top of the the vents in the truck. So 
yeah. uh, definitely, definitely not moisture friendly. So, um, yeah, I, I tried figuring out, you know, if there's a more versatile way to do this whole thing mm-hmm. by having, just like you mentioned, a separate, you know, insulation layers and, and separate external layers. Yeah. And in that case, you're, you're still, you're still usually packing both of them in. Yeah. Um, I played around with uh, the shell jacket on the way in and take it off and then relayer the insulation underneath, put the shell back, the shell jacket back on and it kind of works, but you're also letting a lot of heat out potentially if you're you're doing that and it's oversized if you're not wearing anything underneath it. So I almost kind of came back to the conclusion. It's like, I might as well just bring in one layer that has the built-in insulation and the shell and the quieter, you know, brushed fabric on the exterior and has all the pockets and everything I need. Yeah. And that, that, I mean, it's not really like a, I don't know if there's a right or best way to do it, but it seems to be a little bit less to deal with if you just bring it in like one bib and one coat. Yeah. Well, and that's the thing, you know, uh, everybody has different body types. Everybody, you know, like for me, I'm the kind of guy who I get warm fast and I get warm easy. Uh, and other people might not be that way. So I like to dress really light on my way to the stand. And then when I get there, then I'll throw on a pair of bibs or, uh, you know, I'll, I'll set up first, then I'll throw on the bibs and then climb up. And just that little bit of a climb in my full gear gets me not hot and sweaty, but gets, turns that heat on just for a second and then I'll calm down and then it's all good to go from there. So I figured out what gets me the most comfortable, uh, when I'm, you know, as I'm walking to and from the the hunting locations and, uh, it just, I think honestly, I mean, it's taken me several years to figure it out because it wasn't, it wasn't too long ago, probably five years ago where I was still wearing a ton of cotton, you know, cotton hoodies and cotton, uh, long johns and things like that in the, in the, in the tree stand until I really started doing my research on, you know, the, the Merino wool kick and, uh, how synthetics, you know, uh, wick moisture away from the skin and all that stuff. So I'm, you know, I got this podcast, but I'm still fairly new and still trying everything out to find the best possible system for me. And I think, I think I'm getting real close to that. Yeah. I'm coming in the same boat as you. Uh, I think what I have right now and, what I've kind of been messing around with and figuring out over the last couple of years seems to be working pretty well, but that doesn't mean I'm not, you know, trying new things. Yeah. Um, I, I got a heavyweight set of base layers from Fleet that are like 300 gram synthetic that feel like they just feel wonderful on your skin. Um, so I'll try those out instead of the wool and, you know, dual combination base layer just to see if I like that better. Uh, but yeah, I'm, I'm, I always say that this is the last year I got to figure it out. And I'm like, usually always testing something new. <laughs> absolutely but that's kind of like how we are right we're a little bit of the those gear nuts yep yep so well hey uh garrett man i really appreciate your time today thanks for um hopping on uh the podcast to chatting and uh to anybody who's listening definitely check out garrett's uh, uh diy sportsman podcast and his diy sportsman youtube channel and uh, i'm sure if you have any questions about gear hit him up on instagram uh, DIY sportsman it's it's DIY underscore sportsman on Instagram yes yeah on Instagram yeah so uh, check him out Garrett thanks man yep thanks Dan